City's stated mission is to responsibly provide financial services to enable growth and economic progress. This is best exemplified by the provision of capital to hitherto underserved individuals and groups around the world that enables independent entrepreneurs to start and build their businesses and through the provision of mortgages to help people get on or up the property ladder. This is as true in the United States as it is elsewhere. City works with a number of other banks in its home market to help provide access to money to communities that have historically been restricted or denied. Today, Good Things Happen has three guests to discuss how City and its partner banks are working as one to help close the racial wealth gap. Welcome to Susan Plum, who is the chair and CEO of the Bank of Cherokee County, and to president and CEO of Optus Bank, Dominic Miaton. And to Harold Butler, who is City's head of diverse financial institutions group. Welcome to Good Things Happen, everybody. Let's start with Susan. Please introduce yourself. Tell us about the work you do and what is your principal objective at uh, the Bank of Cherokee County? So I'm Susan Chapman Plum and I'm a proud citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the United States of America. And Bank of Cherokee County's principal mission is to ensure that Native citizens and residents of Cherokee County, Oklahoma, and actually we're expanding to make sure that they have full access to the money that they need to make their lives better every day. Wonderful. Same question to you, Dominic. How do you define the purpose of Optus? Optus Bank was founded over 100 years ago with a commitment to closing the racial wealth gap. And that commitment is still the core and founding principle that drives everything we do at Optus Bank today as one of 18 African-American-owned banks and also a CDFI certified bank in America. And Harold, explain to me what the Diverse Financial Institution Group at City is and does. Well, I'd be delighted. Thank you. And thank you to Optus and to Cherokee Nation, Susan and Dom, for being here with us today. And, you know, at that crucial point in history in the world, several years ago, after the murder of George Floyd, City, like many others, made some transformative decisions. Those decisions were really to determine what we needed to do here at the firm to help address the racial wealth gap. What is our part? Uh, which is a very important question. You know, we started the Action for Racial Equity initiative here inside City, which principally addressed those questions and has set goals for us to measure ourselves by as we sought to do our part. The Diverse Financial Institution Group, in many ways, is a manifestation of, of that effort, those commitments, right? Those commitments that we made to help reduce the racial wealth gap in this case the best way we can do it in this instance is through diverse financial institutions like Optus and Cherokee Nations Bank. Because those mission-driven financial firms impact communities directly in areas where city, you know, we don't necessarily touch in all cases. But our ability to support in many different ways uh, these banks so that they can be more effective to the communities they serve, that's really the mission of the diverse financial institutions group. And it's, it's really principally focused 
office know, not just the banks, but broker dealers and asset managers as well. But the power of it really is crystallized by bringing in all the disparate business functions across cities, largesse, our franchise, and making those available to banks. That's our mission. It's one of my personal joys. It's something that I have more fun doing than anything. I guess what's the old saying? Uh, it's not work if you enjoy doing it. So even though I still say I'm going to work, it doesn't quite feel like work sometimes. And you guys all work together and I'm no banker, but it seems odd to me. You kind of think of banks as competing with each other. How do you work together? Susan, what's the benefit of working with City? And I know you touched on it a little bit, but how does it work? How does the team work together? So I don't think City has a presence in our part of the country. I think that that's part of the way that we have partnered with one another. And even the large banks here in Oklahoma, we still do some of the same kinds of partnering with big banks because big banks have a very different business model than a really, really small bank. So it's really a way for them to kind of put their money where their mouth is and do the things that they're committed to doing that they really wouldn't be able to do. It would be very difficult, I would think, for City to stand up a bank that would be culturally relevant to the Native American community. So they picked us (laughs) and we picked them. Dominic, would that be a similar answer from you or anything to add to that, what the benefit of working with City is? I think that was a great answer. I will add just a couple of different perspectives and maybe some different words around the, the same concept. The way I see our partnership is really the vision that Harold laid out includes probably understated, deep understanding of the fact that city cannot be successful with its commitment to really serving the world, not just the US, with responsive and responsible financial services, without partnerships, with mission-driven, community-oriented, locally-driven, locally-accountable banks or financial service providers. So I, I think it's a it's not just a manifestation of the commitment to close the racial wealth gap, but I think it's also understanding or manifestation of the deep understanding that the, the city leadership team and Herald in particular have that the success for city shareholders, frankly, is contingent on finding key partners to close the gaps that exist in our communities. We have a very similar mission to what Susan laid out, but we do believe that the local connections and relationships and the unique financial services that our banks provide is something that city is not probably well suited to do without us, right? And so they recognized that and decided to make us an extension of their massive financial ecosystem. I see it as a very symbiotic, uh, mutually reinforcing partnership that, uh, frankly, transcends the initial issue that you raised, you know, how can banks partner? And so I do want to credit Harold for building that internal will and deep understanding within City that this is not just a, a charitable initiative to create economic opportunity, wealth in certain underserved communities. This is actually a strategic initiative. And that's why the whole function and role that he and his team have, I believe it's going to very likely become the most important part of city as a separate line of business almost that's focusing on the future where we need to be working more intentionally together. 
Anything you'd like to add, Harold? I'm so appreciative for both Dom and Susan's words. And, you know, I, I think if I were to add anything, frankly, you know, it's no mystery this city isn't in uh, multiple locations around the country. It's just not part of our strategy, you know, from a retail banking standpoint to kind of be everywhere. But, you know, we do have very specific goals and interest as not just solely as part of our commitment around closing the racial wealth gap. We generally will address the business and communities kind of doing good and supporting growth in many different aspects. And, you know, the best way to do it in the absence of having a physical presence is to do it through financial institutions like these two right here. At the end of the day, it really isn't necessarily about city in most cases. It's ultimately about what we're able to do in partnership, how it makes the impact. Because the people on the street don't necessarily care. I love for them to care about the city brand, but that's not necessarily top of mind for someone who would like to see streetlights in their neighborhood so they can feel safe, right? That might not always be a city that does that, but it might be a Optus Bank that's able to make that happen through the local municipality, through support from city and, and others. Things. So I, I agree. Dom said it very nicely as an extension of the way we look at how we can make an impact in the world around us through the financial institutions is a good way to do it. I totally get the, the business argument for it, but having a, done a bit of study of all three of your brands, it seems that you're also aligned in the values that you have. I know purpose-driven businesses is the word of the day, but it, I really sense that in all of your organizations. And Susan, I love something that I read on your website about celebrating the dreamers, doers, and achievers in Cherokee County since 1907. Those are beautiful words. Um, what are the challenges of making that happen? Tell us some of the cultural challenges of you being able to achieve your ambitions as a bank? Well, this will only be relevant to the Okies that might be listening, but Oklahoma became a state in 1907, and actually the bank preceded statehood, which meant that we were incorporated in Indian territory. So that's just a little historical fact. Native American monetary concept is, it could be somebody's dissertation, okay, because the concept is that we like to stay close to our communities geographically, so going away is not really culturally the thing that people try to do. And so we're in rural Oklahoma. Well, that may immediately limit your opportunities. And, and I don't even know if limit the opportunities is right. It's just a different perspective. You know, when you want to live near a, a stream of running water, which is a Cherokee value, when you want to live near your extended family, you start shrinking your opportunity to access capital and traditional financial services in a way that also can shrink your world. If somebody's not intentional about taking banking to northeastern Oklahoma or to the Cherokee Reservation, then it's not going to happen. So really, some of that's just the sensitivity to understand that there are differing norms inside America, and they can vary greatly you know, with regard to what financial success looks like in particular. There is actually not a Cherokee word for bank. It actually requires a sentence to say the word bank because it is a living language. I'm working on my Cherokee speaking friends to actually make a word for bank because they make words for other things now. You know, they sit in a room at, with about 30 people and decide, okay, what's the word for geometry going to be? 
But I say that and it's funny, but it's actually not funny because that explains in a nutshell is like how far apart we would be from mainstream American culture. Living language makes sense. I guess you, you're going to have to think about crypto and blockchain soon as well. It's, uh, but let's start with bank. Um, Dominic, tell us a little bit about the history of Optus. I read that it was instigated for slightly different reasons, as I understand this. You know, what I read on your website was about the vision of giving more people the access to the American dream, not just those born in the right circumstances. Tell us some of the background of Optus. I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Susan, for educating me. I, I love the story about the, the, the word bank and the fact that it doesn't exist. I would say in our communities that we serve, the word bank is a four-letter word. It's not a good word. In fact, if you look at our logo, we intentionally shrunk the word bank because we wanted to focus on the concept of choice, opting us, opt us. And that's when we changed the name of the bank. And also in Latin, it's to choose, right? to have a choice. And frequently, Jorian, what we find in our communities, people not only don't have a choice, but frequently they're not even aware of the options, right? They see their their majority counterparts for centuries building wealth, accumulating assets. And meanwhile, they are excluded. Everything from the 40 acres and a mule that started the real kind of division in the history of racial wealth gap, uh, then post-reconstruction, then the persistent redlining, blockbusting, all the real estate laws that were encoded into our our system have created an environment where today maybe some of the more obvious obstacles have been removed, but the underlying obstacles to people of color, particularly accessing credit and opportunities, it's still there. So I'm going to add one thing and that will maybe answer your question in a very tangible way. I was speaking with someone five or six years ago when I started on this journey to get into this mission-driven banking space. And so I was talking with a, a friend of mine who's very high net worth, and I was explaining to him how excited I was about what black banks in particular or mission-driven banks do for, for America. And he, his question was, why do we need them? Why, why do we need these unique banks? And so rather than giving him a very academic answer, as I just gave you, uh, which, you know, he would have lost me about 30 seconds in, I went home and I started looking at, okay, what does it mean today? And I found a study that was done and it's been done repeatedly and by different groups of two borrowers with identical credit histories, credit picture, really identical financial condition. And this research group, all they did is they changed their names and they submitted these applications to various institutions in a particular market. And the borrowers, the fictitious borrowers with ethnic names had a 30 to 40% lower response rates from the loan officers. And this was just recently. I went back to this friend and I showed him the study. And to my surprise, he still kind of dismissed it, but at least he started to understand that even in today's America, we need Susan and we need Optus Bank, and we need institutions that are very intentional about finding those gaps and closing them. I would add an anecdote to that. I recently heard of a training inside a lending environment where the loan officer was instructed to give the customer five minutes. And if they knew that the answer was going to be no after five minutes, they were to stand up. And this is training stand up, give all the verbal cues, like it's time for you to leave. And our training would be the opposite. 
if we're going to tell you no, we're going to sit there with you and try to help you figure out why the answer is no and what you can do about that. Just as a human being, and I know every bank is not that way, but I would say that that is not uncommon. So you can imagine the kind of barrier that that puts between somebody that's already intimidated, maybe, or who culturally has a gap. There's many reasons why that would not be appropriate. Harold, let's develop this discussion uh, from a city point of view. You mentioned George Floyd, Black Lives Matter movement, but city were involved in this before that, right? Oh, sure. So tell us about the history of City trying to make progress in this area and find partners. Talk to me about choosing the partners that you work with, the insights that you get from people like Dominic and Susan to enable you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. It's a great question. And you're right. This mission did begin for City in 2017. And so several years prior, you know, we were really focused on understanding and supporting the goals of the government and the goals they had to support to be inclusive of diverse financial institutions as part of the treasury business. Now, you can well imagine, I think this wouldn't be a mystery to any of us today that to do business with the government carries risk, right? Capacity, scalability, you pick it. There's all kinds of words that would probably be appropriate in terms of your preparedness, your ability to do government work. But the goal, I think, was really for the government to think about how do we get there, right? You take a step back and think, well, you know, in some cases you want to make quantum leaps, in other cases you can't. And I think for the government and for Treasury specifically, it was trying to determine how do we get to a place where banks like Cherokee or, or Optus could get involved in some of the work that we have here at Treasury. That would be citizen-facing and or intergovernment facing. And we were asked and we were happy happy to help support the thinking around how to do this. And, you know, we worked with Treasury at that time and ultimately came up with an initiative, Treasury Mentor-Protégé Program, that ultimately was just like it sounds, paired up large financial institutions with small financial institutions and gave them a purview, if you will, into what you had to do in order to do business with the government, right? Sometimes I like to use my favorite saying, I always smile when I say it, and I think it's very illustrative in many ways of, of why this is so important. And so, you know, one's valley depends on the mountaintop on which you stand. So if you think about Cities Valley, Jane Frazier is the CEO and her valley, city's largest around the globe, is going to be maybe more than a little bit different than what Susan Adams Valley might look like, right? And so our ability then to expose either of these banks to what we see through our aperture is critical. It, it brings about uh, opportunities for growth in many cases. If we go back to treasury example, to be able to get on a treasury contract and be able to support the government in a way that you may not have done prior, maybe it's not ever something that the smaller banks would think about, right? Because of the headwinds associated with it. So we created this program and we ultimately, in their 233 year history, we did manage to get a couple of minority banks on contract to do different things with treasury. But that's really where it began. And then very quickly, and that's where George 
Floyd came in, we realized that we needed to do more. You know, Dom doesn't have time, energy, or resources to create a bench that would be waiting on what it would look like to do business with Treasury. If he even had the capacity to be able to build with the resources and knowledge to do it, it just takes time. And so that's where we really retooled our thinking and the way we were looking at engaging banks. And we kind of wrote a new story. You know, we encouraged other financial institutions to get into game. And I'm very proud that we were sort of the first bank out front to really embrace the industry. And at the end of the day, I think what's important, and I'm happy to mention this now, there's three basic pillars to our strategy. The first is equity. And equity really is about helping the banks to improve the balance sheet and to give them more capacity to do things to help support growth. The second is really capacity building. Fancy word. I I love this word, capacity building, because I don't know that I knew what this meant a year ago, right? So it's fancy for me to record a word to simply say we're focused on knowledge transfer and doing the things that can help connect the dots around important lines of business or interests like, you know, people assets and learning key skills on lending, et cetera. And then the third is revenue generating opportunities. At the end of the day, and either of these two very fine CEOs will attest to this, it's fun. It's great to get money to get grants, to get investment. But at the end of the day, what the banks want is not about a handout. What they want is opportunities to get in the game, to get into work. So we took then all the things we had in our arsenal, and we're still doing this today, it's work in progress, but our goal was then and is now informed by Susan and informed by Dom and others to make visible and to give them the opportunity to participate in some of these things that can generate revenue. You predicted my question perfectly, and I'd love to hear from Susan and Dominic. Have you got some stories for us of how this is then realized from the strategies? Uh, I perhaps lazily talked about entrepreneurs and people wanting to get on the property ladder in my introduction. What other stories are there in terms of how access to this capital is changing lives and changing communities? Capital is how banks ensure that we are caring for our depositors' monies in the way that we should be. There's two ways to have capital in a bank. You either retain it out of your earnings or it's injected. So in our case, we're partnering with City to bolster that capital, which the great thing about banking is whatever that dollar amount is, then we can leverage that times 10. When somebody injects capital into a bank, you know, a bigger bank, I'm sure the figures are much higher, but in a small bank, we can take that money and multiply it tenfold. It goes straight out into our communities by way of lending. So it increases our capacity to lend. And that's the best illustration that I can think of. It's not theoretical, it's real. Dominic, anything to add? I think the concept of supporting the balance sheet of mission-driven banks, let's back up a few years. I think what Harold didn't say in his setup of the mentor-protege program and some of the history, you know, he was really the visionary behind that program because he understood that access to these services that could generate revenue for mission-driven small institutions is simply denied yet again because of a lot of the disparities built. And so how do you reverse it? Will you create these unique partnerships. But then I think the next step was 
okay, the capacity building that he talked about, it's not that Susan is not an incredible banker that can run a very successful bank under very difficult circumstances, right? But but what she needs is equity. You know, she needs capital because some of the capital injections Again, typically in most traditional community banks or traditional banks, you know, come from purely profit-oriented investors. And if you're for for centuries or for decades, if you're banking in markets that are underserved, the returns historically you've been able to generate do not attract your traditional market-oriented investors. And that understanding, it seems really obvious today because we've been talking about it. But a few years ago, when I started in this space, that was very difficult to truly comprehend. Why do we have these MDI banks or CDFI banks that are so small and they appear to lack capacity? But what I think Harold and the leadership team at City understood is they don't lack the intellect or the human capacity on their teams, they may need to have it augmented with additional resources. What they really lack is an opportunity to jumpstart them into the market-oriented space. And so this capital injection that we received, and City uh, discloses our largest institutional investor, but what that investment catapulted for us is one other investor jumped in. But now we are quickly leapfrogging to the tier where we can not just be a viable institution as a mission-driven institution, but we can actually generate market rate or above market rates of return and compete. You know, what City did in that program initially and with the continued support, it allowed our institutions, and I don't think I'm being too grandiose here, to probably reverse decades of disinvestment. And in a course of 18 to 24 months since we've been hanging together, we've reversed decades of disinvestment in mission-driven banks. Harold, is this just the start? It's just the start, Jorian. I mean, you, you know what? You're going to get me excited now because questions like that, I am reminded of why we're doing this in the first place, right? We talked about some of the obvious reasons um, that we're doing it. But at the end of the day, I think, wouldn't it be a great place for us to be as a society if banks reach parity and there is an opportunity for everybody to do uh, the things that they need to do in order to be able to serve of their communities. Wouldn't it be a great day if we reach parity and our dialogue is not about, you know, Optus as a Black bank, as a way to describe it, or Cherokee Nation Bank as a Native American bank? Why can't it just be banks, right? And they need to be proud of their charter and history and the way they serve communities. But, you know, my hope one day is that, and I think I think we'll get there. Most, if not all of the work we're doing is very focused on doing our part to help the banks reach parity. The mission of the Diverse Financial Institutions Group is more about helping to that parity comment that I made and opening up access and making it more of a norm, right? An institutional norm for city, which, you know, we've done a great job about leading in many cases, the industry on many of the actions that are happening in this space today. And if we do our job right, ultimately, it won't be a question of how many Black banks are we doing business with? It'll be how many banks? banks are we doing business with? Because these banks will have the ability to play, just like all the rest of the banks, to be competitive. They have the tools and they'll be part of what we do as a firm, as an industry, by virtue of their ability to compete in the space and not as the fact that they may be you know, a diverse financial institution and that 
Susan talked earlier, Don both, about the examples they gave. And I've heard them myself and people ask the question, well, how come there's so many handouts to diverse financial institutions? This is not about handouts. You know, this is about justice. It's about helping to become a part of and being a part of an institution of finance, an ecosystem of finance that allows and gives them opportunity to participate fairly and to do it in a way that, you know, is beneficial. But at the end of the day, it's about impact and it's about impact now. It's enough talking. We do too much talking in the industry. People sometimes have great intentions, but oftentimes those intentions don't marry themselves up with action. Because that's really what we're trying to do here is, is all about action, right? We can give money, maybe not as much as others, but we're very focused here on how many things can I get Cherokee Nation Bank engaged in that can help her drive growth? What kind of resources can I get? Of Optus Bank. They can help him, you know, press forward in a new line of business. That to me is where the rubber meets the road. I think this is uh, the makings of a very powerful future. So when you ask the question about uh, does it continue, it definitely continues. I'd like you to think about it not as a continuance of a separation, but just declaration of we're working with some fantastic financial firms all around the country. They're impacting underrepresented communities. To me, that's what it's about. I have one disclaimer, and then I'll give you some statistics, Jorian, that you might find interesting. We're a privately owned bank. I think I may be out of the 18 Native American institutions in America. I think I may be the only woman Native bank owner. So I do have a unicorn headband that my daughter gave to me, and occasionally I put that on. But there's 5.2 million Native Americans in the United States and 18 banks. So that shows you kind of what the disparity is that Harold is getting at between the offering of the services. We're not owned by the Cherokee Nation. I'm just a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. We're a privately owned institution. We've got about nine different tribes represented at our employee base. I think the work is generational. I call it generational because the attitudes and the cultural barriers that we have, you know, they're not overcome with just one interaction that we have with Citibank. It works both ways. Okay, so we're going to educate city on what meaningful work looks like inside our sphere and city is listening to us and then they're going to help us. And then someday they will have learned and we won't need their help. So that's the objective, but that may take a while. <laughs> Probably will take a while. It's gratifying to shine a light on your organizations that are mission-driven and making a difference. I sincerely hope some young ears are listening, and uh, if they are, I'm sure they're inspired by all your words and encouraged that this is an area that they should get involved in. I would like to thank you all. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I've learned tons. It's been lovely hanging out with you this afternoon. Uh, Susan, Dominic, Harold, thank you so much for joining Good Things Happen today. Thanks, Jorian. Thank you. Thank you so very much. 
The views expressed herein are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Citigroup Global Markets, Inc. or its affiliates. All opinions are subject to change without notice. Neither the information provided nor any opinion expressed constitutes a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. The expressions of opinion are not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. Citibank NA, Bank of Cherokee County, and Optus Bank are not affiliated and are independent companies. Citibank is engaged in equity investment with both Optus Bank and Bank of Cherokee. The speaker's views are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of City or any of its affiliates.